0: So we're reading from the book of Malachi last book in the Old Testament the words are up on the screen here if you've got one of the Black Pew Bibles they, you'll find it on page 1491 a prophecy the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi I have loved you says the Lord but you ask how have you loved us was not Esau Jacob's brother declares the Lord yet have I, I have loved Jacob But Esau I have hated, and I have turned his his hill country into a wasteland, and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says, They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of God, of the Lord." You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. A son honours his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honour due me? If I am a master, where is the respect due me? says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name, but you ask, How have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets, In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands? says the Lord, cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared amongst the nations. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen and if you do not resolve to honour my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you and I will curse your blessings. And yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants and I will smear on your faces the dung from your festive sacrifices and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned away from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law.
1: Let's pray. Father in heaven, please still our hearts. Uh, We want to listen to you, we want to be open, Uh, we want to be open to correction, we want to be open to encouragement, and we want to give you honour by the way in which we listen now to your word and apply it. So please help us to work in cooperation with your spirit and help me to be really clear. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well there are in our culture uh, some moments which are laden with expectation, weddings, Christmas, they're both both two moments like that. Uh, One of the things I do as a pastor when I prepare people for their wedding day is to try and help them to have a right focus because if you ask the question, who's the wedding day about, right, most people will say it's the bride and the groom. Mm. Is that exactly right? Uh, if a bride and groom go into a wedding just with that focus, it can become kind of self-obsessed. So what I tell people is it's about honouring God, it's about honouring your parents, it's about honouring one another. That seems to correct the focus and put it in a better way. Um, Because otherwise, you know, expectations can kind of blow out. Um, Christmas can be like that. It's It's a time when we... We're meant to feel the love, you know, uh, but most of us don't. We pile upon Christmas Day in particular, uh, sort of a year's worth of unmet family expectations. And we desperately hope that at that moment in time, you know, with all those expectations, everything will come true. Everyone will behave themselves. There'll be love, mutual love shared. And, and that frequently, of course, uh, doesn't happen. And then we're left by saying, Where, where's the love? Israel were feeling that at the time of Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. How have you loved us? She throws God's words back at his face, because to her mind there is a gap between God's sentiment, if you like, and what they're experiencing. How so? Well, Malachi was, of course, as Noel said, the last book in the Old Testament, written, we think, about 100 years or so after Israel had returned from exile. You remember the exile, right? No? Okay, brief history lesson. Here we go. Okay. Israel's history begins with Abraham. Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has two twin boys, Jacob and Esau. And the Lord promises to bless Jacob over Esau. Why? Not because Jacob is better than Esau. He ch- simply chooses one over the other. He can, he's God. The Lord blesses Jacob and changes his name from Jacob to Israel. Israel has 12 sons. Their descendants become the 12 tribes of Israel, who end up in Egypt and then come out of Egypt to settle in the land of Israel. Esau's descendants become the nation of the Edomites, who end up settling in the hilly mountain area to the southeast of Israel. They're still there in the time of Malachi. If we followed Israel's history down the left-hand side there, in 922, the nation splits in two in an uneven split. You've got the northern ten tribes called Israel, the southern two tribes Judah, from which we get the word Jews. Okay? The history of both nations is a history of rebellion and, and sin against the Lord and then the Lord's repeated warnings. If you don't change your ways, it's going to end in disaster, which it does. In 722 BC... Um, The Lord's patience had run out with the northern kingdom of Israel. The northern ten tribes get wiped out by the Assyrians, vanish forever. Judah, to the south, continues in her sin. And so in 597 BC, the Lord brings against Judah the might of the Babylonian army. They destroy Jerusalem. They exile her people until in 538 BC, the exiles return from Babylon and rebuild their temple. So they come back. And when they come back, they have expectations. And they expect the Lord to bless them once again because he's brought them back after all. They want blessing of the same magnitude as as their glory days, you know, the time of Moses or David or Solomon. But it's a disappointment. Things are not glorious. There's opposition from hostile peoples. There's hardship. And they they rebuilt the temple, but it's got none of the glory of the previous temple of Solomon. They were having their sad Christmas experience, right? You know, they're not feeling the love. Where is the love? Not feeling it from God. Now, depending on what point you are in your life, that can happen to any of us. Where there's a mismatch between our expectations and what God is delivering at that point in time. Where is the love? Now, wouldn't it be lovely to know how you know that God actually loves you in the midst of those circumstances? Well, the Lord speaks to us and to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you. How have you loved us? And the tone is sarcastic or bitter. And then the Lord reminds Israel, well, here's the answer. This is what my attitude has always been despite your rebellion." Here's the, here's the attitude. Jacob I've loved, but Esau I've hated. You rem- he says, remember where you came from? Your father Jacob had a brother, Esau. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. That's how you know that I love you. Now, okay, it's impossible to hear that and not kind of object. How can a God of love hate anyone, right? We need to realise that word hate is not the strong emotional aversion by which we mean Sorry, which we mean by the word hate. Hate here means God's decision to choose Jacob over Esau. hate, therefore, in that respect, defines love. The dispute God's answering is, how have I loved Israel? Here's the answer. God has chosen to set his love and affection on Jacob and his descendants over and against Esau and his descendants. And in fact, with Jacob, with Israel, God formalized that relationship He entered into a covenant. He promised to be with them. He promised to be their God and to bless them. They also had to keep their side. They had to keep God as their God and obey him. Otherwise, they'd be exiled. That happened, all right? But he entered into this covenant for Israel, and he didn't do this with the Edomites. Okay, he set his affection upon Jacob, Israel, not Edom. He formalised it. He entered into a relationship. That's how God has loved Israel and how he has hated Esau. It's like what happens at a wedding, isn't it? Um, Now, some of us are married. uh, Probably all of us have sat through a wedding. We've seen it. We've heard it. We've even said the words ourselves. A bride and groom, when they get married, they enter into an exclusive love relationship. They promise to forsake all others. They promise to love and protect this one as long as they both shall live. They don't promise to love and protect all other former suitors, you know, all other would-be dalliances who possibly come my way. No, 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 no. One person, it's exclusive, it's good. From this time on, you'll know I love you and hate everyone else in the respect of choice. You'll know I love you because I'm setting my affection upon you, not them. So God reminds Israel, I have loved you like that. Jacob I've loved. Esau, the Edomites, I've hated. Now, why does he mention the Edomites? Because there's tension, understandably, given this is God's attitude. There is tension between the descendants of Jacob and Esau, between Israel and Edom. Edom has declared herself to be Israel's enemy. And so, of course, when the Babylonians first came and trounced Israel and burnt their temple, there were the Edomites cheering on Nebuchadnezzar. (laughs) Ha ha, good on you, Nebuchadnezzar. Well, now they're back. The Israelites are back from exile and they are still experiencing hostility from Edom. And so they have reason to question the Lord's love for them. And the Lord reminds them, "My, my policy hasn't changed, my heart hasn't changed Uh, I'm still loving you, I'm still hating Edom. I'll turn her mountains into a desert wasteland where only jackals live. Israel's doubtful. But Edom says she's going to rebuild. The Lord says, well, if they rebuild, I'm going to demolish them. My policy against the Edomites is undeniable proof of my ongoing love for you. Verse 5, he says, you will see it. You're going to see this with your own eyes. You will say, great is the Lord even beyond the land of Israel. Here is a promise that takes us to Christmas, actually, that the Lord is going to show selective love and favour and that this is to his people and that this is going to be somehow seen internationally beyond the borders of Israel. Before we get there, sticking with this relationship, there are two sides to every relationship, right? So the Lord has loved Israel. They haven't felt the love. He said, no, 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 I, I have. I'm, I'm still loving you. But now, from my perspective, where's the love shown back in return? You know, Israel has said, I'm not feeling the love from you, but neither has the Lord been feeling it from them. And so now things get very pointed. You know, when verses 6 to 14 were read, it may have sounded like a rant about sacrifices. But sacrifices weren't just rules to keep. They were always meant to be Israel's loving response to God's exclusive love for her. And that's why she was to bring Uh, him the best of her animals not out of duty not reluctantly not because they had to not with grumbles or complaints but out of a a desire to love and to honor and and respect Yahweh that you know of all the nations of the world the God of the universe has chosen this people to be his people and they want to celebrate it and give him back the best that they have And yet the way God sees it, there's none of that love, that reciprocal love that's been shown in return. Where is the love? A son son honours his father. A servant honours his master. Yes. Well, if I'm in a father, where's the honour due me? If I'm a master, where's the respect due me? he's going to raise other issues of sins in the life of Israel. Next week we'll hear about domestic violence that leads to divorce. As destructive as those sins are between people, they find their origin in a mismatched relationship or an unfaithful relationship between his people and God. So that needs to be worked out first. That's the core issue. How do you work that one out? We have to see who God is. In verses 2-5, to God's reminded Israel two things about himself. First of all, that he is so mighty, he's great. He's the Lord of history. He's able to bring blessing and destruction to nations. So he's extremely powerful and great. On the other hand, he is immensely personal. He loves Israel. He talks with them relationally. That's the wonderful thing about God. He is infinitely greater than we can comprehend. And at the same time, he's more personal than what we often make out. You lose sight of either things and you get God wrong. You lose sight of God's majesty Well, what happens? You think God's an equal or less. Someone you can play games with, someone you can fool by living a double life and thinking he's none the wiser. You lose sight of the fact that God's personal and you'll think him an impersonal force, just kind of a static being out there. And then you'll forget to relate to God personally. And think that sin, you'll forget that sin against him is actually personal. He grieves, he longs. In verses 6 to 14, Israel, and more particularly her priests, have forgotten both of these things. So now God confronts them. You've shown contempt for my name. How have we shown contempt for your name? You've placed defiled food on my altar. How have we defiled you? You treat my table with contempt. You bring blind animals for sacrifice. You sacrifice crippled or diseased animals. Is not that wrong? How is that wrong? Now, I mean, if you were an Israelite right? You have five sheep, and one of them's a cripple, and you have to offer one for sacrifice. Isn't it good management, you know, to kill the one that you're going to have to put down anyway, you know, and take that for sacrifice? The Lord says, no, try offering that to your governor. Would he be pleased with that if you served it up on his table? No way. Well, why do you try it on me? They are offering sacrifices that involve zero sacrifice, which means it's not a sacrifice, you see. And in fact, what they give reveals a lot about what they think about God. If they thought the Lord worthy of respect and honour, they, they would bring him the best, wouldn't they? They wouldn't bring the blemished sacrifice. The sacrifice reveals a lot about what they think about God. Okay. Now, we can understand this, can't we? It's the season of gift buying. <laughs> it's so complicated, isn't it? Unless you like the butler wheels, you just buy everyone pajamas. <laughs> Is that right? I think I heard that, yeah. Good policy. All right. How do you work, at, for the rest of us, how do we work out how much to spend on each person? Do you think of what each person would like and just spend whatever the present costs, without, within limits, perhaps? Or do you spend the same amount on each person because you love each the same? Or do you put a monetary value on how much you love someone and you spend accordingly? Those you love the most, you spend the most on. Those you love the least, you spend the least on. That sounds a little crass, doesn't it? Yet kind of, you know, you've got a fixed budget. Or is the gift purely transactional You spend on others how much you think they are going to spend on you so that when the present exchange happens, you can get through Christmas leaving the room in a clear conscience, not feeling like you owe someone. Okay. Um, It's really tricky, isn't it? The sacrifices the Israelites brought to God show show how much they thought they valued God. Now, the Lord is great beyond measure and personal. He deserves the best of his people that he's bonded himself to and yet he's getting the dregs and it offends him. He says, oh, that you would just shut the temple doors, that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. I will accept no offering from your hands because the priests regard him as nothing and he knows it. Verse 13, he says, you say, what a burden. You know, you turn up your noses, you sniff at my table contemptuously. What a burden to have to be bothered to honor the Lord. You know, it gets in my way of life. Well, you know, the word of God cuts deep, doesn't it? And it exposes us. And we we know Jesus called us to love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength how have you measured up just this week? How have I? How have we, God's people here at Trinity Church, Aldgate, how have we measured up? You know, positively, we want to say we, we listen to his words, don't we? Well, we're hearing them, but are we listening, taking them on? Uh, positively, we want to say we, we, we worship God. We, we run worship nights, which are wonderful, uh, but worship's the whole of life, isn't it? It can't be ref- just reduced to an hour or two. He knows the games we play. He knows our default decisions not to love him with our heart, mind, soul and strength. We think to ourselves we can sin in secret without him knowing. We think it won't matter to him. We think our half-heartedness towards him and our materialism and our idolatry are things that just don't matter when they do. We either let go of God's greatness and we think he's not worth much or we pretend he isn't personal and that it doesn't matter. But we're wrong on both counts. So, opened and exposed, I want to tell you there's hope, and hope comes from God. Hope comes from his own commitment to hallow his name, even if we don't or can't. Twice in these verses, once in verse 14, earlier in verse 11... Malachi 1. God says, despite how you treat me, I am a great king. My name, my reputation, my honor will be great among the nations. It will happen. My name, Yahweh, it will be feared among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name. That is the firm commitment and promise of the Lord. Now, how does that get fulfilled? In part, we see it at Christmas, don't we? Remember the wise men who come from foreign lands, who come and present to the Lord incense and offerings from a different place where the sun set? And that in itself is like a, a glimpse of what will happen when the good news that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord is proclaimed around the nations and people bow down and worship and acknowledge him as Saviour and Lord. Well, before we jump right up there, we're still in Malachi. Now, chapter 2. There is a saying that a fish rots from its head. If the nation, the people of Israel, weren't honouring the Lord as God, their rot finds its origin in the priest's. So in chapter 2, the Lord has one more bone to pick with the priests, and it's over their teaching. Because, of course, priests don't just offer sacrifices. They were to teach the people about God. But Israel's priests were faulty. Their problem was not their lack of knowledge. Their problem was their hearts. Israel had priests who had not determined in their hearts to honour God. Isn't that staggering? To think you could have a priest who in their heart hasn't determined to honour God. And so he warns them. He says, You know how when you do sacrifices and, and you cut open the bull or lamb and you take out the intestine, right? With all its contents, and you know what they are, that is, right? He says, Because you haven't set your hearts to honour me, I'm going to take out those contents and smear it on your faces. How's that? Great image, isn't it? Feces on faces. Just imagine it. Well, we can, because you've heard the news here in Adelaide. Narelle works as a physio down at Flinders Hospital. She's there on Tuesdays, not Wednesdays. That's very important. Because guess what happened two Wednesdays ago? In the acute physio staff room, they were all there, meeting for their staff meeting. 30 people gathered, and while they were gathered there in the staff room, completely full, suddenly the ceiling fell down on them. Can you imagine? That wouldn't normally happen in a staff meeting. That would be a memorable moment. But what made it stick very strongly in their mind's eye and every other part of their being was the fact that it wasn't just the ceiling that fell down. Because I mean, well, why did the ceiling fall down? Because above the ceiling was a pipe, and that was the sewerage pipe. (laughs) And the sewerage pipe sprung a leak, and it filled up the ceiling cavity with effluent from the hospital hospital sewage, until it became too heavy to bear. And so at the crucial time, while the whole staff meeting was sitting there, you know, it's not normally full, but once a week it is, at that very moment, (laughs) the whole ceiling collapsed and it wasn't just plaster that fell down, it was hospital sewage all over the physios. Narelle wasn't, she was there the day before. (laughs) Praise the Lord for that. So there you go. What a story. Now, with that pungent image in your mind now, imagine that it wasn't just the physios who were blinking through the muck. It was the priests. According to the Lord, there couldn't be a more fitting image than to have feces on a face for a priest who hasn't determined in their hearts to honor God entirely fitting. Last weekend, several people were ordained as priests, that means elders, in St. Peter's Cathedral, including Des Smith from the city. Now, imagine if you were sitting at an ordination and all the priests who've been ordained, who hadn't determined in their heart to honour God, but they were going through the motions. So there they are, they're robing, they're filing up. But imagine if they had animal poo spread right across their faces. Okay, God says that image is exactly fitting for such people why verse 7 chapter 2 the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge and from his mouth men should seek instruction because he's the messenger of the lord almighty verse 8 but you have turned from from the way and by your teaching you have caused many to stumble verse 9 so i have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you haven't followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law, partiality in regard to God's word. Now, I'm hearing this, right? So, God is not pleased with priests who turned a blind eye to God's clear word. That, friends, is why at our church we preach through books of the Bible. It stops me hobby-horsing by only choose the, choosing the passages that I feel comfortable preaching on. So I have to preach on this, right? Because it really matters that the word of God is heard from the lips of priests by his people. And God is not pleased with those who turn a blind eye to what God clearly says is his will. And in our culture at this point in time, you know, there are many ways we could go. But the the clearest one, where priests have been compromised left, right and centre in Adelaide, is over the issue of human sexuality and what's appropriate for sexual expression and behaviour. So I know there are priests, I've heard, I've heard them say this, who are encouraging their young people to experiment with sexuality uh, in sexual relationships with other people before they're married. God is not pleased with that God is not pleased with priests who just can't wait before they run their first same-sex wedding. He is not pleased with that. At all. In fact, he says, the appropriate thing is you have shit smeared across your face. They haven't determined in their heart to honour God with their teaching. You know, God's love is unconditional, isn't it? Uh, God keeps loving Israel despite how they treat them, but we need to realise unconditional love has its demands. Uh, We know this in a marriage. Uh, Marriage partners love unconditionally. You're there for each other, as you've said, through thick or thin, richer for poorer, sickness and health, you know, all all the conditions. But it doesn't mean it's a free-for-all, you can do whatever you want. There are clear rules of what's appropriate and what's not. Teachers cannot teach whatever they just like in God's name. Teachers are, verse 7, messengers. Messengers, not inventors, not script writers, messengers of the Lord Almighty. Please keep praying that those of us who are teaching would teach and determine in our hearts to honour God. Okay, let's recap. First, Israel asked the Lord, Where is the love? The Lord replies, I've loved you. But from you, where is the love? Because there's rot, and it comes from the fish head, from the priests, whom God will humiliate. That's God's message to the returned exiles. What of us, what is the Spirit of the Living God saying to us through his word now? Clearly we need to love God more, don't we? But is that is that the message? You know, try harder. In chapter 1, we've heard God's promise that because he's a great king, one day the nations will fear his name. Chapters 3 and 4 speak of the Lord finally coming into our world. And the second last verse in the book of Malachi points us to the coming of John the Baptist who will turn people's hearts back to the Lord. If we therefore jumped from Malachi straight to us and said, oh, we have to love God more, we'd be actually avoiding the very trajectory that Malachi points us on, which is to point us to the coming of the Lord, the great King, the Lord Almighty, the one whose name is exalted, Jesus, which means the Lord is the Saviour, Emmanuel, God with us the one who came in human flesh, the one who did love his heavenly father with all of his heart, mind, soul and strength. The one therefore who became therefore a priest who could offer the ultimate sacrifice which was worthy and was acceptable, his life. And the priest who taught of God so perfectly, he is the answer. Everything rests on him. And therefore, if we're going to offer worship that's acceptable to God, it can only ever be through him that we can offer it. And so what I want to do to apply is get you to quickly turn to 1 Peter, chapters 1 and 2, because Peter writes to people who have come to God through Jesus, and he uses the language of Malachi to apply God's word to us. So having seen the Lord, now we get to see ourselves, and he tells us who we are. First of all, we are loved and chosen, verses 1 to 5. Peter writes to those who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of the Father. Who are we? We're chosen by the Father, chosen and therefore loved. Chosen when others weren't chosen. Ooh, that's hard, isn't it? Have a look at chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses 6, 7, 8, speak of others who stumble over the living stone, Jesus, because they disobey the message, which verse 8, we note, is what they were destined for. Now that is one of the few places in the New Testament which says God has destined or chosen some people not to believe. Now, I know therefore that you'll have questions at this point. And you might have an objection but I, I want to plead with you not to let that question, not to let that objection, stop you hearing what God is saying through Peter and through Malachi. God's choosing, we who believe, over others is proof that he loves you. That's the point. That's the real point he wants you to get and to take on board and hear and listen. To be loved by God, to be chosen by the Father through the work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus, that is not something to be despised. It's not something to judge God for. It is something to embrace. It's something to love God for. It's something to rejoice in. It is proof of God's love for you. Second, because we are loved, we have great expectations, not of Christmas lunch, but of the Lord's coming chapter 1 verse 7 the day when jesus christ is revealed and with it our salvation he says you know the trials you're going through these have come so that your faith so much worth worth of greater value than gold may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor on the day jesus christ is revealed and 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 he says though you haven't seen him you love him and even though you don't see him now you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the, the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We have immense expectation and great hope. Third, Jesus makes our priestly sacrifices acceptable. This is really important. In Malachi, you know, the priests offer dodgy sacrifices. But here's the thing. When we apply that to us, the priests aren't someone like me who might have a dog collar in my wardrobe. The priests are us. Verse 9, you are a royal priesthood. Verse 5, you're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. This is the priesthood of all believers. Verse 5, it says, it's this priesthood which is now offering spiritual sacrifices to God. You are offering spiritual sacrifices to God. Now, in light of what you've read in Malachi, that might make you nervous. How could they ever be acceptable? Because who among us really loves the Lord with all of our heart? You know, when we sing God's praises in songs, uh, who amongst us has a mind that never wanders off at all, but is wholly in tune with what we're singing in our hearts? How can our sacrifices be acceptable to God? The answer is in verse 5. Please have a look. We, the priests, offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. How? Through Jesus Christ. So here's Jesus' wonderful ministry. Right now, he is at God's right hand, and he is acting as our high priest. He is taking all our deficient prayers. He is taking all our distracted uh, singing. He is taking our imperfect obedience. And because he has lived the perfect life for us, and because he has died for all of our sins... He can now take all of our imperfect offerings and present them to God perfected through him. We offer spiritual sacrifices which are now acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Praise God. And that makes us, lastly, impactful. You see, because Jesus still works as our high priest, you are a chosen people, you see, You are now a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. See what this is saying. You In Malachi, God promised that he would make his name great. Guess how it happens? It happens through us. Us, us, imperfect us, yes. Us. (laughs) Who are enlivened, who live, who can only exist through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for Jesus. And thank you that the imperfect offerings, the problems of Israel, are kind of met and fulfilled in him and now in him through us. What a privilege it is to be chosen by you, to be loved by you, and to be able to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable through Christ. We praise him and help us to live as your people in Jesus' name.